from the capital city of Charleston, West Virginia, this is Inside West Virginia Politics with Mark Curtis. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Inside West Virginia Politics. I'm your host, Mark Curtis. Lots going on in Washington, D.C. these days, so let's get right to it. I want to invite uh, Congresswoman uh, uh, Carol Miller into the discussion here, Republican of West Virginia. Good to see you, Congresswoman. Good morning. Uh, you know, everybody's wondering, what are we going to do about gas prices? They hit finally hit $5 a gallon here in West Virginia last week, higher in other parts of the nation. What, if anything, can you support in Washington to try to lower gas prices? Well, the first thing we need to do is to get the president to start approving all the pipelines and energy development he possibly can and to stop the federal freeze on all the oil and gas projects that we have. You know, ever since he came to office, his mission has been to destroy our oil and gas industry. And I just do not understand why they don't want us to be dominant in the energy sector. You know, energy security is our national security. Uh, I, when I drove yesterday, I think it was 506 a gallon. Uh, I would the inflation just from Friday to Monday jumped from 8.3 to 8.6. You know, it's just crazy what's going on and the prices that people are having to pay at the pump, at the grocery store, when they're going to be heating and cooling their homes this year, this summer. Um, I even look for some blackouts in parts of the country. Well, one of the things people are talking about is uh, gas tax holidays, suspending state gas taxes. Of course, they talked about it here, and that went down in flames last week in West Virginia. Five states have already done it. But now there's proposals out there to maybe suspend the federal gas tax for a period of time to save people. I think it's around 55 cents a gallon. Would you favor or oppose that? Well, to me, it's a supply and demand thing. If we are allowed to produce oil and gas, the price will go down. When we have a lot on hand, the price will go down. And why in the world we're going to countries that are not our friends, inquiring about buying from them, is it's ludicrous. Well, let's talk about inflation overall, because gasoline is just a part of it. Uh, what I paid for beef over the weekend at the grocery store made my jaw drop. I mean, what is the, the best method in your mind to get inflation down overall, not just gas prices? Well, we've got to stop spending as a country. The spending is out of control. Last year, we we brought in 3.8 trillion and spent 6.8 trillion dollars. You can't do that in your home. You can't do that in your business. And we certainly have no business doing that as a country. And yes, we did have to backfill during COVID, but the time to stop it is now. We need to get people back to work we need them to have the pride in, in being productive citizens back to work, uh, doing what we do as a country. As I said, you guys are busy with all kinds of issues in Washington, D.C. I've got to give some attention to the gun issue in the wake of the recent um, mass shootings. And there's been other gun violence in this country. You and uh, Elise Stefanik and Richard Hudson, uh, Congress members from uh, New York and uh, North Carolina, respectively, have introduced the Firearm Proficiency, Firearm Proficiency and Training Act. That's hard to say. What would your bill do? Well, basically, it would allow people to take up a $250 tax credit if they take a storage, uh, well, if they have a storage or safety device 
that they purchase or if they take concealed carry courses or any other kind of certified course on firearm safety. You were one of uh, three West Virginia no votes on that massive uh, uh, gun control measure that passed the House of Representatives last Friday. Why did you vote no? Because we have the right to bear arms. It's part of our Constitution and I'm sworn to uphold my Constitution. And the other thing about my bill that I, I didn't mention is that there is also protection that the IRS cannot use any information. And within two years, they have to destroy what information that is part of your taxes. And if some leak would happen, that you have the right to uh, up for action, for private action against them. As mentioned, busy times in Washington, D.C., a lot going on. We want to thank Congresswoman Carol Miller from the state of West Virginia, Republican, for joining us. Keep in touch, Carol. We'll talk soon. It's always great to see you. Likewise. Thank you. We'll have more of Inside West Virginia Politics after this break. Don't go away. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. And we welcome you back to this weekend's Inside West Virginia Politics. We're going to shift gears and talk about foster care here in the state of West Virginia. I want to introduce um, Marissa Sanders. You are what? Executive Director? Yes. yes. Executive Director of the West Virginia Foster Adoptive and Kinship Parents Network. It's a mouthful. Yes, it is. It's a lot, but it's a big job. WVFosterParents.org is the website. We'll put that up on the screen for you. A lot of good information. First of all, we had a major development happen in the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. The DHHR has now launched its dashboard to track foster care in the Mountain State. This is very similar to what they did for COVID-19. What do you see as the advantages of having this dashboard, both for foster families and people who want to follow the system and potential foster families? Yeah. So any decision we're making in, in how to improve the child welfare system really should be data-driven. And you know, for legislators, for stakeholders, for the public to know what's happening in the system, we have to be able to see that data. Um, and historically, there has been very little data that was really easily available to the public. So this, this makes much more data available. It's very user-friendly, much like the COVID-19 dashboard. A lot of good information on there. What other things are you looking towards the legislature to do? I know we've had some bills passed each of the last couple of years that dealt with foster care issues, but I gather you folks want much more comprehensive legislation. What are your needs? Oh gosh, <laughs> there, there are many. Um, I think you know a starting point is um, really looking again at we had several things in the bill this year, um, so that the bill that didn't pass in the in 2022 um, and the dashboard was one of those. There are some other communication pieces um, where technology could be useful. So, for example, um, using technology to help match children to foster families. Um, so that we're making sure that they're placed in a family that's really prepared to meet their needs and um, is appropriate and as close to home as, as possible for them. Um, but then also using technology to improve communication. That's one of the, the biggest issues that I hear across the, the system is the challenges with communication. By the way, if there are folks out there watching right now who are thinking about becoming foster or adoptive or kinship parents, uh, how do they do that? How do they take that first step and say, I'm interested, we want to learn more about this? They go to your website? I mean, you guys can guide them? Um, they could. They would contact Mission West Virginia to start, and they'll give them a list of the child placing agencies in their, in their county. And then they would have to call them and, and decide on one of those private agencies to work with. And then they'll, they'll have to take classes and 
go through the process to become certified. Is it a very rewarding thing to be a foster parent? Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime you get a chance to love kids and, and support families, it's, it's always rewarding. I know you were talking to me the other day about challenges you face. Um, teenage children mm -hmm. are difficult to place in siblings. So you just, you, sometimes you don't want to separate families. You might have two or three kids in the same family. Speak to those issues and, and you make your pitch out to the folks out in the public as to why those uh, should be considered for adoption too. Yeah, so teens is one of the hardest groups that we, we find to place, and there, there are a lot of teens in the system. There are many whose parents' have, parents' rights have been terminated and they don't have a permanent home, and, and that just causes all kinds of trauma for kids. So um, the more we can find families to really reach out and love kids or teens and work with them and um, help them heal and um, give them a permanent family to, to be with and to support them. As we know, no one is done growing at 18. Uh, they may age out of the system, but they still need support um, even then. So, um, and then uh, sibling groups is the other, yeah, um, especially because they, they tend to be a, a range of ages and you might even have five or six kids in a sibling group. Um, so finding a home that can take that many that doesn't already have children placed there. Um, so anyone who's, who's got space and, and looking to care for um, Several kids would, you know, des desperately need those. What we often hear the, the phrase seven thousand foster children in West Virginia is that pretty accurate figure? Yeah, it's between six and seven. And, and how many of them have been placed, or how many versus how many looking to be placed? Well, they're all placed somewhere. Yeah. It just doesn't mean that they're with a family. Many of them are in um, residential facilities of some sort, in state or out of state. Um, and sometimes they're there because they need mental health support, and other times they're there simply because we couldn't find a, a home for them, a family to take them. Well, there's a lot of good information out there. First, let me direct you to the DHHR website. It's dhhr.wv.gov, and that's where there is a link to the foster care dashboard. But more importantly, I want to put uh, your website up again, wvfosterparents.org. Uh, for a lot of good information about how to become an adoptive parent, to, you know, foster family, and so forth. We want to thank Marissa Sanders. She's executive director of the West Virginia Foster Adoptive and Kinship Parents Networks. I got all that out in one breath. And can I mention our conference? Oh, your conference is yes. coming up. That's right. Yes. Uh, so starting June 21st, we're having our second annual conference. It will be um, focused on foster adoptive and kinship parents. Um, four evenings over two weeks, and it's it's virtual on Zoom. Yes, so, the 21st, 23rd, 28th, and 30th of June. Yes, and we tried to um, schedule it that way so that it work, would work for busy parents. So it's 7 p.m. to 9, 9 p.m. every night so that uh, hopefully the kids are settling down and, <laughs> and, um, and no one has to travel. So, you know, we were trying to work around those schedules, but we have several national speakers and lots of great breakout topics. And let me give you the website one more time, wvfosterparents.org. We want to thank Marissa Sanders. Good work. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. Thank you, Marissa. Thanks. We'll have more of Inside West Virginia Politics after this break. Don't go away. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. And we welcome you back to this weekend's Inside West Virginia Politics. We're going to shift gears and talk about foster care here in the state of West Virginia. I want to introduce um, Marissa Sanders. You are what? Executive Director? Yes. yes. Executive Director of the West Virginia Foster Adoptive and Kinship Parents Network. It's a mouthful. Yes, it is. It's a lot, but it's a big job. WVFosterParents.org is the website. We'll put that up on the screen for you. A lot of good information. First of all, we had a major development happen in the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. The DHHR has now 
launched its dashboard to track foster care in the Mountain State. This is very similar to what they did for COVID-19. What do you see as the advantages of having this dashboard, both for foster families and people who want to follow the system and potential foster families? Yeah. So any decision we're making in, in how to improve the child welfare system really should be data driven. And you know, for legislators, for stakeholders, for the public to know what's happening in the system, we have to be able to see that data. Um, and historically, there has been very little data that was really easily available to the public. So this, this makes much more data available. It's very user friendly, much like the COVID-19 dashboard. A lot of good information on there. What other things are you looking towards the legislature to do? I know we've had some bills passed each of the last couple of years that dealt with foster care issues, but I gather you folks want much more comprehensive legislation. What are your needs? Oh gosh, <laughs> there, there are many. Um, I think you know a starting point is um, really looking again at we had several things in the bill this year, um, so that the bill that didn't pass in the in 2022 um, and the dashboard was one of those. There are some other communication pieces um, where technology could be useful. So, for example, um, using technology to help match children to foster families. Um, so that we're making sure that they're placed in a family that's really prepared to meet their needs and um, is appropriate and as close to home as, as possible for them. Um, but then also using technology to improve communication. That's one of the, the biggest issues that I hear across the, the system is the challenges with communication. By the way, if there are folks out there watching right now who are thinking about becoming foster, or adoptive or kinship parents, uh, how do they do that? How do they take that first step and say, I'm interested, we want to learn more about this? They go to your website, I mean, you guys can guide them? Um, they could. They would contact Mission West Virginia to start, and they'll give them a list of the child placing agencies in their in their county. And then they would have to call them and, and decide on one of those private agencies to work with. And then they'll, they'll have to take classes and go through the process to become certified. Is it a very rewarding thing to be a foster parent? Oh, absolutely. I mean, anytime you get a chance to love kids and, and support families, it's, it's always rewarding. I know you were talking to me the other day about challenges you face. Um, teenage children mm -hmm. are difficult to place in siblings. So you just, you, sometimes you don't want to separate families. You might have two or three kids in the same family. Speak to those issues and, and you make your pitch out to the folks out in the public as to why those uh, should be considered for adoption too. Yeah, so teens is one of the hardest groups that we, we find to place, and there, there are a lot of teens in the system. There are many whose parents' have, parents' rights have been terminated and they don't have a permanent home, and, and that just causes all kinds of trauma for kids. So um, the more we can find families to really reach out and love kids or teens and work with them and um, help them heal and um, give them a permanent family to, to be with and to support them. As we know, no one is done growing at 18. Uh, they may age out of the system, but they still need support um, even then. So, um, and then uh, sibling groups is the other, yeah, um, especially because they, they tend to be a, a range of ages and you might even have five or six kids in a sibling group. Um, so finding a home that can take that many that doesn't already have children placed there. Um, so anyone who's, who's got space and, and looking to care for um, Several kids would, you know, des desperately need those. What we often hear the the phrase seven thousand foster children in West Virginia is that pretty accurate figure? Yeah, it's between six and seven. I, and how many of them have been placed, or how many versus how many looking to be placed? Well, they're all placed somewhere. Yeah. It just doesn't mean that they're with a family. Many of them are in um, residential facilities of some sort, in state or out of state. Um, and sometimes they're there because they need mental health support and other times they're there simply because we couldn't find a, a home for them, a family to take them. 
Well, there's a lot of good information out there. First, let me direct you to the DHHR website. It's dhhr.wv.gov, and that's where there is a link to the foster care dashboard. But more importantly, I want to put uh, your website up again, wvfosterparents.org, uh, for a lot of good information about how to become an adoptive parent, to, you know, foster family, and so forth. We want to thank Marissa Sanders. She's executive director of the West Virginia Foster Adoptive and Kinship Parents Networks. I got all that out in one breath. And can I mention our conference? Oh, your conference is yes. coming up. That's right. Yes. Uh, so starting June 21st, we're having our second annual conference. It will be um, focused on foster, adoptive, and kinship parents. Um, four evenings over two weeks, and it's it's virtual on Zoom. Yes, so, the 21st, 23rd, 28th, and 30th of June. Yes, and we tried to um, schedule it that way so that it work, would work for busy parents. So it's 7 p.m. to 9 p.m every night so that uh, hopefully the kids are settling down and <laughs> and um, and no one has to travel so you know we were trying to work around those schedules but we have several national speakers and lots of great breakout topics and let me give you the website one more time wvfosterparents.org we want to thank marissa sanders good work we'll talk to you soon okay thank you thank you marissa Thanks. we'll have more of inside west virginia politics after this break Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. We're going to talk about energy for a moment here. I want to introduce Emmett Pepper. He is with uh, Energy Efficient West Virginia, but the broader organization you're representing today is West Virginia for Energy Freedom. Good to have you back in the program. Always glad to be here. Thanks, Mark. Here's the reason you're here. Uh, American Electric Power, AEP, is proposing a 12% rate increase uh, across uh, for West Virginia ratepayers. I guess this average is about $18 a month. Your organization is opposed to it. Why? Well, I, we're, we've had too much of these rate increases. We've seen a 150% rate increase uh, over the last 15 years. This is just one more. What we, we really need um, the Public Service Commission to, to eventually start saying no to, to these utilities asking for uh, continued increases uh, and, and subsidization essentially from us, the citizens. How much is this, of this is consumer driven? Because it's not just energy right now, it's putting gas in the tank, it's buying groceries. We've had record high inflation for the past 40 years. It just yeah. seems like this is almost, and I don't mean to beat up on AEP, they got to operate too, but it, it almost seems like piling on is what I think the public sees this as. Well, the reason this is happening is that what we've seen over the past, let's say 10 or 15 years, the same time when we had these rate increases, is that um, our, uh, Increasingly, the coal companies and the, and the uh, utilities have asked um, government to require us, the citizens, to underwrite and subsidize one form of energy, um, coal-fired power. And so we have essentially almost 100% uh, of our power comes from one source, and, and we're completely rejecting uh, free market principles, where we could buy the cheapest power source in the market. Instead of what we've done is we've, we've required, the, the utilities now own these power plants that we are essentially required to use and, and pay for, and whether or not that's the best deal. I mean, we have a free market out there that we could be buying electricity from anywhere, but instead we've, we've committed 100% essentially to this one source. Yeah. Let me mention, and we're going to put a graphic up on the screen, the Public Service Committee is going all around the state. It's going to have public hearings on this and get input. Uh, June 22nd, Wheeling, 
June 27th in Preston County. Uh, in Princeton. In Princeton. Uh -huh. That's down in Mercer County. Yeah. Princeton, my mistake. Huntington on the 28th and then here in Charleston on July 26th. Those are the public hearings. You folks are going up to Wheeling. Uh, I assume you're going to monitor that hearing on the 22nd, but you're going to have an event with uh, West Virginia for Energy Freedom on the 23rd. Tell us where and when and what the focus is. Appreciate it. Yeah, the, we're going to be at the Ohio County uh, Library, and we'll be talking about some things that uh, individuals, businesses, and local governments can do to take control of their own energy bills, regardless of what's happening with rates, which seem to be continuing to just go up and with no end in sight, especially for uh, AEP customers. Um, there are things that people can do, and there's actually a lot of op options out there for residents to get support for becoming more energy efficient or going solar in a cost-effective way. Same thing for uh, businesses. There's just been a lot of support from the uh, federal government and from state agencies. And so we, we're going to talk through all the different things that people, opportunities people have. Um, one thing that we've, we've done here in Charleston uh, is that we've actually in, enacted a, a law that will require the city uh, to put, get us on a path to save energy uh, by 25% in the next five years. And so other cities can do the same thing, and we're able to help them with that. And we're starting to see more people adopting solar power in the state. We and I were talking earlier about Dickens and Salt Works out in Malden. Uh, they've converted over. We have the parking lot at Jaeger Airport is solar powered. We have this big array that is now going to come to the old Hobart mine area down in Boone County. Uh, do you like the trend or do you wish that we'd see more of this? Well, I, I think that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I think because the, you know, part of this is happening because the rates just keep going up and people are seeing um, that it is highly cost effective for them to switch over to other sources of energy and to, and to focus on making their building more efficient. Um, so, yeah, it's, it makes a lot of sense and people are all over the state are, are finding success with this. Yeah, well, it's fascinating. Again, West Virginia for Energy Freedom. Emmett Pepper is its representative. Uh, if you're up in the Ohio County area in Wheeling, that is uh, what, next Thursday, the 23rd? That's right. That is the day after the Public Service Commission meeting up there. And then uh, in Princeton on the 27th of June, 28th in Huntington, July 22nd here in Charleston. Go out and make your voices heard. The people can really right. make a difference at these hearings. I've seen it happen with Sudden Link and other things. You know, right. raise your voice, okay? Speak out. All right, Emmett Pepper has been with us. We thank him for joining us. We thank you for watching this weekend on Inside West Virginia Politics. Don't forget, we are a podcast. Download us from your favorite podcast vendor. We'll see you back here next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inside West Virginia Politics. You can hear more from state, local, and federal lawmakers each and every Sunday morning on WOWK-TV in Charleston, WBOY-TV in Clarksburg, WDVM in the Eastern Panhandle, WTRF in Wheeling, and WVNS in Beckley. You can also find a new episode of the Inside West Virginia Politics podcast right here on this feed every Monday morning. If you like the show, make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Inside West Virginia Politics is a Nexstar Media Group production hosted and managed by Mark Curtis. Inside West Virginia Politics is recorded and edited inside the studios of WOWK-TV in Charleston, West Virginia. All rights reserved.